0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you out this morning. Um, If you're new here, I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad to have you. Um, I have some exciting things to announce this morning, Uh, the main one being that Robin, um, our dear friend and sister here in our church, is going to be preaching this morning on Psalm 73. So if you didn't catch that last week, it was last week, right, Jeffrey, you started off the Psalms? Yeah, that was last Sunday. So if you missed that one, Jeffrey preached Psalm chapter 1 last week and kind of introduced what we're going to be covering for the next few weeks. And today, Robin is going to be speaking on Psalm 73. Now, Robin is somebody special to me and to us. Um, She came here, has it been three years? Four? Two? Six? Seven? Okay, it's only been two years. Um, Robin came a couple of years ago, um, and she was such a gift to us. She came with little Ari, um, and there was not many young folk here at the time. I think she was one of our first under 50. <laughs> um, and took a big risk coming, coming to us and coming here. Um, and since that time, you know, she did, uh, we did a year of pilgrimage together, Um, And now she's doing kind of like a shorter, condensed intro to pilgrimage for university students. Um, And so where that brings us to today is we've been seeking over the last couple of years to provide support for Robin, financial support, as well as a ministry home for her. As she engages in on-campus ministry at Vancouver Island University with a ministry called UCM, which I can't remember what it stands for, United Christian Ministries? University University Christian, that makes more sense. University Christian Ministries. Um, And so what we've been discerning over the last number of months with our parish council is how best to support her. And so part of the process that we've come to is we sought to raise money in the church and go through our designated funds and then provide her, her support like that. We found that that is not the clearest, best way to do that. So what we've decided to do in, part, um, in agreement with Robin is that we're no longer going to be funneling uh, the financial support through Christchurch Oceanside to her. We're going to encourage people to discern that for themselves and give to her and UCM directly. So there's a table set up at the end of the service today if you're stirred to, do, to commit to that. And to participate in that, we'd love for you to do that. Now, today, what Robin's going to be doing is explaining a little bit of what she does in ministry, introducing us to some of that, and then preaching the word on Psalm 73. So, would you give her a hearty welcome with me? And maybe we'll just pray for her um, before she begins. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Robin and her family and the joy of of having the blessing of walking together over the last couple of years. And Lord, we pray your mightiest blessing upon her this morning that as she preaches the word and gives testimony to the ministry and work that she's doing, would there be a clear sense that she is home, she is safe here, To be fully herself and to proclaim the gospel with authenticity and conviction and passion from her lived journey. And Lord, would your spirit fill her and carry her along by your Holy Spirit? So we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said?
1: Amen. Well, thank you for that welcome. I appreciate it a lot. Um, When I was thinking about the best way to introduce you to the work that I do, um, one option is just to come on a Thursday night, and so I've extended that invitation to some of you, and in the fall I might invite you again. Um, But the second best way is to bring my students to you. So this is my dear friend, Fran. She is our um, student president this year. She's been around UCM at VIU for longer than I have. Um, and has been a real gift to me in teaching me about the culture at VIU and just being open with me about where she's at. Um, And she is ready to share that with you guys. Um, So she's going to share a bit of her experience in the last few years, and and then we'll get into Psalms.
2: Bear with me as I navigate paper and microphone and book. All right, hello. (laughs) I moved out of my parents' home last May. The circumstances were not great. Tensions had been building for years, brought to a new level through the pandemic. I used to describe to my little sister that being at home felt like walking on eggshells with cleats and every other shell was a landmine personalized lectures as to how my siblings and I were each failures or embarrassments to our parents were an almost daily occurrence. And on the days when my mom thought we were giving her too much attitude, she would make us recite, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and rose for my sins because if we were possessed by demons, we wouldn't be able to say it. It got to the point where I would spend upwards of 12 hours on campus, five days a week, even on days when I didn't have any classes, just so I wouldn't be home. On the 45-minute drive back from Nanaimo to Duncan, I would cry and scream to God, saying over and over again, I don't want to go home, I don't want to go home, I don't want to go home. Eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I packed up my room into my car, and I left. I grew up in what I thought was a Christian home. We had daily Bible studies and prayers, attended an online Christian school as homeschoolers, and even for a time had a church plant in our living room. In my teens, I began to have questions about God, faith, and the world at large. My questions were seen as doubt, and my curiosity was labeled skepticism. I was met with hostility by my mother, and the more that I watched how she interacted with the world, I saw that her faith was based in hurt, anger, and judgment. I didn't know, with all my skepticism, if I could call myself a Christian or even if I wanted to be one. It wasn't until my second year of university that I found University Christian Ministries. I remember the first night I went, I was so anxious, but as soon as I walked through the doors, I was met with an immediate knowing of this is where I'm supposed to be. I have never more felt a sense of home. Through my time there, with listening and watching and then helping out and eventually serving on the leadership team, first as vice president and now president, I saw how real Christianity is supposed to be modeled. Real Christianity is patient and kind, welcoming and curious. That was the kind of Christian that I wanted to be, not an angry one like my mother. The distinct difference that I noticed after getting a house with some friends was the peace. It was quiet and warm but not empty. And it was one of the first places that I felt safe in a long time. I've had to set hard boundaries with my parents in order to protect that peace. And I'm choosing to look at my boundaries as a necessary pruning. Hard and difficult, unwanted even, but inevitable in order for there to be proper growth and eventual fruit. My prayer in this season is that I will respond with mercy to those who have failed me, even in small ways that I might bear love and light instead of judgment and hate. I have a small garden that I've been praying a liturgy for gardening over. But I think the prayer is doing more for me than it has the tomatoes. And um, (laughs) if you guys will bear with me for a second, I'm going to read it to you. This is from Every Moment Holy, Volume 1, Pocket Edition. Uh, And it's called A Liturgy for Gardening. O Creator, who calls forth life, May this ground and our labors here invested yield good provisions for the nourishing of both body and soul. Lord, let our labors in this garden be fruitful. Lord, let our labors in this garden be blessed. As we work the soil of this garden plot, furrowing, planting, watering, and harvesting, may such acts become to us a living parable, a prayer acted out rather than spoken. Lord, let our labors in this garden be fruitful. Lord, let our labors in this garden be blessed. As we co-labor with you and your creation to produce a beneficial harvest, may we find in such toil a kind of rest. May this plot of ground become a hallowed space and these hours a sacred time of reflection for conversation with friends and family and for fellowship with you, our creator. Lord, let our labors in this garden be fruitful. Lord, let our labors in this garden be blessed. Through our tending of these, your delightful creations, vegetables and fruits, beans and berries, vines and stalks, and roots and flowers, renew our own tired hopes, redeem our wearied imaginations as we cultivate a gentle order, training, pruning, weeding, and protecting. So cultivate and train our wayward hearts. O Lord, that rooted in you the forms of our lives might spread to winsome witness, maturing to bear good fruit of grace expressed in acts of compassionate love. Lord, let our labors in this garden be fruitful. Lord, let our labors in this garden be blessed. Walk with us now, O Lord, in the stillness of this tilled and quiet space, that we venture into the still greater world of your garden. We might be prepared by the long practice of your presence to offer our lives as true and nourishing provision to all who hunger for mercy and hope and meaning, a true and nourishing provision to all who hunger for you. Lord. Let our labors in this garden be fruitful. Lord, let our labors in this garden be blessed. Amen. Can we
1: clap it, Fran? Thank you so much, Steve. <clears throat> I just love that girl a lot. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad to be here. Um, I don't take it lightly to get to talk about this book um, and to be trusted to do that with you. Um, If I can just preach it myself for a second, um, I know that I carry that burden with Jesus. And so there's no nerves. I just feel really thankful. Um, right off the top, I do want to give a shout out to my ministry director. Her name is Lydia Collins. Some of you know her. I'm looking at Marika, who just loves her as much as I do. Um and Lydia preached on Psalm 73 um a few years back at our ministry at, at the university. Um, and so she sent me her notes, um, which was just a great way to get started here. And then if you've been around uh Christchurch Oceanside for a bit, you will catch some of Ryan's language in here. So <laughs> um But let me start uh, with my own life, with my um, childhood. So I grew up with um, my baby sister, and she's only a year and a half younger than me, but that's enough to get baby status in my world. Um, And she's always been such a good kid growing up. She was definitely the good kid who was there to, she was better at helping make dinner and unload the dishwasher and those sorts of good kid things. And... um, her young adulthood is her story to share but I did ask if I could share with you guys this one conversation I had with her so um she kind of decided to not be the good kid anymore in high school and got into a bit of trouble I remember coming back from my first year of university um, in Burnaby and she was wrapping up her grade 12 year and I took her on a walk one day and I was like what's going on like how do you think you got here? Um, Because this is really different. And she said to me what I think a lot of us have felt at some point and maybe haven't been um, as brave as Laura to just own it. Um, She said, I was just tired of doing the right thing all the time. I looked around and everyone else was doing the fun thing and it was working out for them. And in this psalm that we open the surface with, Psalm 73, that's what... Asaph is saying, right? Uh, Maybe a little more eloquently. Um, And I see it expressed in the lives of a lot of young adults at the university. So verse three, he says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So that was my sister. Um, And then when I look back on my own life um, and some of the tougher seasons that I've gone through, I really resonate with um, those first two verses of the psalm. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Those are the words to express um, what I was working through um, kind of in high school that um, I just didn't have at the time. Um, Now we call it deconstruction. Um, Lydia and I always say to our students, we deconstructed before it was cool. Because <laughs> um, now that's what a lot, of, a lot of students that we encounter are doing, right? Um, those who grew up in the faith, um, we, they were introduced to this kid-appropriate version of faith. Um, and As someone who's starting to think about how I introduce my daughter to what I believe, um, I can't introduce it to her the same way that I'm talking about it today. So I have a lot of empathy for uh, my students' parents. But there's growing pains then. You, ha- you can't take that kid version of faith into your adult life. And so they have these growing pains um, that I walk through with them. And I'm actually so proud of them. Because um, it's really hard. It takes a lot of strength to hold those two verses in tension. To say, like, I know that God is good. He's been good to me and my people. But this isn't working. (laughs) Like, life doesn't seem fair. I think I'm falling. There are a lot of different reasons that um, 70% of university students who start their education with faith will have lost it by the time they leave. Those are individual people, not just a group. But I do think that this passage catches a lot of the reasons um, that I'm seeing in students' lives. It's just hard to be nuanced. It's tiring to live in tension. We're seeing that life isn't fair. I see my friends having more fun than me. And I want this book and this faith to be simple. If I do good, I get good. and if we really want to, we can pull out all kinds of isolated verses to kind of convince us of that, right? Especially if you're in some of the wisdom literature, like Proverbs. If you do good, you'll prosper. If you're generous, you'll be rich. If you're kind, you'll be loved. If you apply knowledge, you'll be wise. And even some of the wisdom Psalms can read that way, right? Last week, Jeffrey shared on Psalm 1, and he was able to nuance it and say, like, life isn't quite this simple all the time. But if you read it in isolation, if you do the right thing, then you'll prosper. Psalm 15 gives simple answers to life's questions. I think as we go through this series this summer on psalms, we'll see some of them really resonate with our life experience. And some of them don't resonate with our life experience. And we'll have to work through how that can be real and true. I think at some point in our lives... Most of us have lived with a simplistic version of faith, and it can kind of reveal itself in like a hyper-optimism that everything's going to work out, um, and a rigid morality. But eventually, we're going to struggle with that simplicity um, when it collides with real life. These straightforward ideas that we have about success, about right and wrong, about family values, and this question of suffering. Like eventually, you have to deal with that. Um, in a sense, this is what Jesus did for his disciples. They would hold up their wisdom, and he just quietly, gently asked them, is that working for you? Um, we read um, John's gospel account of, the, of a blind man. So the Pharisees had this idea that It was either his fault or his mom and dad's fault, or maybe his grandparents' fault that he was blind. And Jesus enters into that story and he's not worried about who to blame. He's just so focused on the Father. So he sees this injustice and explains that sometimes there is injustice that doesn't fit into this framework. But his main priority in those spaces is to reveal God's heart and to reveal that. He's the kind of God who heals. So as I walk with students through their suffering, that's the kind of father that I'm trying to introduce them to. Uh, It's not going to work to just quote a proverb or even quote a couple verses from Psalms to them. Uh, When I was thinking about you guys this morning, there's probably more than one of you who have sat with someone who's suffering. So I have students bring me these intellectual questions all the time, right? And they'll come up really strong and, you know, straight from their philosophy class or whatever. And um, they ask, like, why does God let bad things happen? Uh, but when I when I do take the time to dig into those moments with them, there's usually a story there, right? It's usually a, a crying out from a place of real and personal pain, and they're asking the question of why did this happen? And I think what they maybe don't know at first is the question they're really asking is like, where's God in this? What's he doing? Um, And fortunately, that's actually the other big part of wisdom literature, right? It can be this simple, do good and get good, but the wisdom writers are also exploring that tension. of like, God, where are you when we're suffering? So Asaph in Psalm 73, he gets that the Proverbs are not working for him right now. And he spends half the Psalm trying to work that out. I don't know, I think maybe sometimes I wish he spent like just a couple verses working that out because it feels kind of uncomfortable in the middle of it. You're like, okay, but like where's the good news here? And he gets there eventually. So in verse 16 and 17, this is the turning point for Asaph. He says, but when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. So if there's anything that I've known to be true um, in my young adult life, it's that in the presence of Jesus, I can be relieved of the wearisome task of deciding who's right and who's wrong and who deserves what. And so my prayer for this church, this space, and also our community on campus is that both of these would be that type of sanctuary where my friends who are deconstructing can come and cling a little bit tighter to the truth that God is good. If even just for two hours. Asaph knows that God is the one who brings justice. He knows that in the end God wins. The greedy and the arrogant and the oppressors who are unrepentant will eventually become the ones who are in the slippery places. When my students um, are sharing their stories with me, and maybe you guys felt this when Fran was sharing, it's really hard not to get angry. mom and dad, or whoever's in their life that used the Lord's name in vain, who said that they were representing Jesus and didn't do a good job of that. Uh, The word curiosity really stuck out to me when Fran was sharing. It's one of my favorite words. Um, My favorite compliment that UCM gets from students is that we're a space where no question is off limits. But I think some of my students grew up in... um, in a really fearful faith uh, where uh, questions weren't welcome because we weren't really sure what would come of them. So when they had been offered a false Jesus or maybe just one part of him and they tried to find the real Jesus, they were kind of shut down. Like, that makes me mad. (laughs) Um, I think the good news there is that we have a Heavenly Father who probably gets pretty worked up about that too. And he has done and he is doing and he will do everything that needs to be done to deal with that. Like, I don't have to carry that anger on Fran's behalf because God's got that part covered. Um, but for Asaph, like it was more than just the knowledge of a coming reign of justice. He also knew the comfort of God's presence in the sanctuary. Uh, Let me read to you verses 23 through 25. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The answer that Asaph gets to, he gets there eventually. Um, it's not just like an equation or um, a nice quote that we could embroider on a pillow, um, but it's a story that has a, an ending that's written, and it's a person. Um, his resolution was found in that sanctuary of God, in the temple. And for us, on the other side of the cross, um, we find our resolution in the person of Jesus, right? In the sanctuary, we find the comfort of Jesus, the cornerstone. So I just want to reflect on some words that we often recite together at the beginning of our service. In Jesus' life, our hearts are fully known. So when he was a human, he, he experienced injustice. Kind of put some of my injustice in perspective, actually. Uh, and that's not just history, but that's right now. He's experiencing injustice alongside us. In Jesus' death, we finally have a solution to that. We're no longer alone in that struggle. But we're adopted. We're beloved. And we are heirs to the kingdom. In Jesus' resurrection, we get to freely rest from striving. I don't have to carry that anger. I don't have to carry bringing these words on my own. We come to know the new reality of victory over darkness in the love of God. And in Jesus' ascension, we are forever safe. We recognize the Kingdom of Heaven as our home and our culture and so we're not surprised when things aren't working here the way that we feel they should and I just don't think there's any wisdom in the world that can compare to that like glory and scandal of the person of Jesus um, in his um, with his skin on and in his his suffering and his rising Um, and his presence with us. And so um, I just want to worship in response to that, and we'll take communion together.